Hey, Scott Walker here. Uh, thanks for joining us on our podcast, Freedom Fighters, and we're, we're happy to have you here. It's been another eventful week, but I, I just can't help thinking about, you know, the chaos. And we talked about this last week at Link. You know, it's something that brought back memories for me last Wednesday when uh, the U.S. Capitol was under siege. I can remember going through a similar experience. Thankfully, there was no loss of life, but certainly a lot of death threats back in 2011 in Wisconsin. Uh, the state capitol was overcome. The capitol police were run over. People came in eventually through windows and broke down doors. They stayed in the capitol far beyond the time they were asked to. And then eventually massive numbers of police had to come in. And it wasn't something that just lasted hours or a day. It literally lasted weeks uh, until things finally were under control. Even after that, though, the threats continued, the protests continued, the pushback continued, not only against me and my family, where we had death threats and other threats, uh, but say lawmakers dealt with that. I remember one of the times after they voted, they actually had to go out through the basement in the tunnel and make their way where the Capitol Police and others worked to help get them safely uh, back to their cars and to their homes. When I saw the images the other day in the U.S. Capitol of members of the National Guard sleeping uh, in the uh, in the Capitol Visitor Center, it reminded me of again, a decade ago, coming into the Capitol and walking through the basement and seeing the piles of tactical gear that the SWAT teams from uh, the State Patrol and the Capitol Police and other law enforcement agencies were using at the time. It is amazing that when you think about this chaos, though, how uh, it is absolutely wrong under any circumstance. It was wrong last week. I denounced it as did just about everybody from conservatives like myself to obviously liberals and everyone in between. But but 10 years ago, when very similar things were happening in Wisconsin, not only was not denounced, in many ways it was encouraged by those on the left. It's the interesting hypocrisy that we see throughout of this chaos. We saw it earlier this summer that people who were not only okay with the protests, but with the the BLM movement, but but were reluctant, if not just downright scared, to speak out against the violence that came not from the masses, but from those who got out of control. And places like in my state in Kenosha, where they burnt down buildings in the cities downtown, or in Madison near the state capitol, where they took down statues and even assaulted a state center in places like Seattle where there was death or places like Portland or Chicago or St. Louis or New York City or Washington, D.C. When you think of all the the concerns people raised about mass gatherings when it was rallies for people they didn't support, but it was okay when it was protests for other causes or for celebrating the perceived victory of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You see this when people talked about uh, recently about uh, how it was somehow going to bring the end to the republic, the end of democracy, if someone challenged the votes in the Electoral College. And yet they forget in 2001 and 2005, there were Democrats challenging the Electoral College votes for George W. Bush. Even four years ago, Democrats challenged, not in mass, but some challenged the Electoral College votes uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, the response would be, well, those were protest uh, challenges. They didn't really think it was going to happen. Well, as one of the anchors said to Josh Hawley, the senator who was proposing a challenge uh, 
days before uh, the actual day of the vote, he questioned him as to whether or not uh, it really was going to matter, because in the end, he believed that Joe Biden was still going to be the eventual winner, which he was, regardless of what you think of the circumstances. You think of all the other chaos, and again, rightfully so, speaking out against those who entered the Capitol, caused damage, the worst of which those who assaulted law enforcement, the Capitol police officers, uh, not only the heroes that we lost, but many other heroes who risked their lives uh, to protect uh, the lawmakers in the Capitol, regardless of party or persuasion, they were there to protect them all, to protect and to serve. Interesting how they lifted them up, but, but all throughout the summer, some of those same people we're attacking law enforcement in other places, talking about defunding the police instead of defending them. It's interesting how now big tech is using uh, what happened last week as an excuse to somehow go after others, even though there's no clear correlation between many of the others they're talking about. And we've seen this now for quite some time of pushing back against conservative voices or pushing back and shutting down pro-life voices or even shooting, pushing back and, and shutting down other legitimate sources within the media, like the New York Post and the stories they had last fall. It's amazing that they use the, the premise that they don't want to engage in those who are promoting violence, but yet someone like the leader of Iran, one of the world's largest state sponsors of terrorism, still has a voice. Or the focus on not just on Twitter, Facebook, but then on Apple and Google pushing back on Parler having even access to their platform with the claims unfounded in many cases that somehow their inability to act as a, not as a platform, but as a publisher to block content from certain entities on the Parler platform itself somehow contributed this when even many of the traditional media outlets in the last few days have acknowledged with reports Uh, that most of the pre-planning that appears to be showing up was done by people on Facebook and Twitter. And yet those platforms slash publishers are still up. And then you have people like AOC and others who, you know, I I increasingly feel like most Americans have to uh, sign a document after they read the rules and procedures or the employee handbook or whatever it is when they take a new job just to prove that they've actually read them, that they've acknowledged that they received them. Maybe it's time for every member of Congress to actually sign an oath, to not just take the oath, but sign a piece of paper that says that they've actually read the U.S. Constitution. Many of you have probably seen this already, but this week AOC said that there should be a commission to rein in the media in light of what happened last week. Never mind the fact that the First Amendment, and here it is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, again, the important thing for all listening, peacefully assemble. Yeah, I'm not talking about what the rioters did, unlawfully did in the Capitol last week, But this idea that there should somehow be a commission to rein in the media flies directly in the face of what rests in our U.S. Constitution, the very thing that she and others raised their right hand and took the oath to say that they would defend. These are crazy times. 
These are times when we need to be vigilant more than ever. Now, not by raising up arms, but, but by rather standing up to defend the Constitution, to defend those freedoms. The one piece of solace I'd give to all of this is we've been through this before. You know, it's interesting. 32 years ago this week, Ronald Reagan, of course, anybody listening knows that I'm a huge fan of our 40th president. Ronald Reagan gave his farewell address. He spoke from the Oval Office, and as he often did, he, he began the early parts of his comments in what was really a most amazing speech. Uh, he told a story. He told a story of sailors on the USS Midway coming along a, a group of refugees crammed onto a leaky little boat. They were trying to make their way uh, to America, and as they sent a, a rescue party out to, to get to them, one of the refugees stood up and said, Hello, American sailor. Hello, freedom man. The president explained in his address these words. He said, A small moment with a big meaning. A moment the sailor, who wrote it in a letter, couldn't get out of his mind. And when I saw it, neither could I. Because that that's what it was to be an American in the 1980s. We stood again for freedom. I know we always have, but in the past few years, the world again, and in a way, we ourselves rediscovered it. Pretty amazing words. Pretty amazing words when you think about it. So I put that in context and I realize the, uh, the United States back, uh, well, prior to 1981, the United States was in a pretty difficult situation. I was a kid back then. I remember when Jimmy Carter was the president, we talked about America being in a malaise because of the economy and just the way things were. Iran had held our hostages, Americans, hostage for 444 days, including Kevin Hermaning, one of my friends from Wisconsin who was a Marine, the youngest to come and be at the embassy staff. It was really bad. But now, here at the end of the 80s and the end of Ronald Reagan's two terms, we were proud to be Americans again. I got to tell you, it was a great feeling. So the, the president talked about all these positive things and the change and the rebirth of patriotism and how the economy improved and how we're bringing down communism and all these underworld great things. But at the end, he gave what had been, as he mentioned, a, a tradition amongst farewell addresses, and that is a bit of a warning the reason I tell it to you here is I think it's in many ways as important now what he said as it was back then, if not more so. He talked about the need for an informed patriotism to begin with at the end. And I got to tell you what he said is so true. I, I learned, you know, the, the essence of patriotism not only from my parents and grandparents and family, but from my neighbors. The guy up the road from us who was my scout leader, who was literally a veteran of both World War One and World War Two. He was active in our church and the American Legion. And I remember every year he'd make sure us kids would, would put flags in the graves of the veterans to honor the fallen. We learned from him and my parents and others, we learned to stand for the flag when it went by in a parade and, and as we sang the national anthem. We learned to love America and more importantly, what it stands for, freedom. But here's where the warning kicks in. President Reagan said, but now... We're about to enter the 90s, and some things have changed. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. And as for those who create the popular culture, 
well-grounded patriotism is no longer the style. Our spirit is back, but we haven't reinstitutionalized it. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. It's fragile. It needs protection. He's so right. Freedom is special and rare. It's why so many people from around the world come. Many cases, like those people coming across the water, not just the ones that came in that story, but I think of the images as a kid of seeing these rafts filled almost to the point of sinking with with uh, people coming from Cuba across shark-infested waters. Why? To get away from the failure, the oppression of socialism. Uh, they were yearning for the freedom that comes in America. And then the president warned us that we've got to do more to teach history based not on what's in fashion, but what's important. And he said, we, we've got to start with the basics, more attention to American history and a greater emphasis on civic ritual. Again, these words that our 40th president gave back in January of 1989, I think are are as, if not more important today than ever before. Our country is at a tipping point. Too many of our fellow citizens have, have either taken our freedoms for granted or they just never learned about them in the first place. Liberals have taken over major parts of our campuses and our culture. And so to counter the radicals, we need more attention to American history and a greater emphasis on civic ritual, just like the president said. No, we're not called to literally take up arms. That, that would be misguided as the people in the Capitol were last week, but we cannot back down. We do have a fight in front of us. It's not a, a fight based on lawlessness or, or violence, but rather one to defend the American dream, to defeat the defenders of liberty. And that's why I am so honored to be coming in these days as the new president of Young America's Foundation, YAF.org, if you haven't learned about it. We really are preparing our young people to be defenders of liberty. We need that now more than ever. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Scott Walker. Until next time, keep fighting for freedom.